Well, Happy New Year to you on this uh, first day of 2012. Reminded that next week we'll go back to our traditional, normal order of worship and services. So at this 930 group, I say Happy New Year to the boring, boring, boring people in our church. I thought the, the, the 930 people would be the folks that had nothing to do on New Year's Eve. So look around you, this is the boring group or, or the over 45. I was very relieved to read this week in a national publication that it is okay to celebrate the new year at 830 and go to bed. I thought, well, you know, I've always thought it's just, I never stay up late. Why stay up? I mean, happy new year, go to bed, you know. So 830, happy new year, go to bed and you wake up. So so those of you who think like that and you're like me, you're boring. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I really believe as we think about the new year that uh, a life, the life of blessing and privilege and God's shalom, God's soundness comes to those who follow Christ, who understand that he is Lord and King uh, there's a promise in Malachi 4, verse 2, we're going to look at it again this morning, that says, but, but for, for, for those who revered his name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The word revere means to honor or glorify or adore or worship, to, to reverence, to fear. In Proverbs chapter 14, it says this, verse 26 and 27, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Keeping a man from the snares of death. You think the the fear of the Lord is is a a fortress, and for his children will be a sure foundation. The, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, the reverence of God. For those who revere his name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. In the book of Malachi, it says time after time, talking about reverencing or honoring God or, or worshiping Him or delighting in Him. Let me read you some verses from, from Malachi. Malachi chapter 1 verse 11 says this, My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. What a great missionary verse. My name will be great. Have you ever been in, in company, I'm sure you have been recently, where people take the Lord's name in vain? I mean, I, I can hear people say things, and I just go, well, I, I, don't, I wish they wouldn't say things like that. But when they take the, the Lord's name, the, the holy name of God in vain, it, it's like somebody takes a dagger and sticks it in my, in my thigh. Or when you're with somebody, with somebody that night, and they, just as, as an afterthought, they just said, thank you, Jesus. There, there, there's no sobriety. There's no really honoring of the name. And I said, I want to stand up and say, you just use the name that is above every name as a comma. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. My name will be great. When his name is revered and worshipped, he rises with healing in its wings. You want healing in your life. You want soundness and wholeness. Revere his name. 
Listen. Malachi 1, verse 14. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Chapter 2, verse 5. My covenant was with him, with, with the tribe of Levi, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin because the name was revered. And then you, you, you step back and say, why is there ungodliness? Why is there no justice? Why is there a defrauding of people who rightly deserve their wages? Why is there a looking down on widows and orphans in the day of Malachi? This, this is what he says. Chapter 3, verse 5. He says, he says, I will come against those who defraud laborers their wages and who, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says God Almighty. There's no reverence of God. They don't revere the name. Do you revere the name? Do, do you honor the name? Do, do you glorify in the Lord and do you enjoy Him? Think of some of the verses about in the Psalms. For example, Psalm 16, verse 8 says that uh, I've set the Lord at my right hand because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My flesh will dwell Securely, you have put me on the path of life, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I think of Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. And he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water who yields his fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. You know, do, do, you, do you want to be a fruit-bearing person? Do you want to have soundness in your heart? Do you want to have wholeness to your spirit? Honor God. Revere the name. Worship him. Delight in him. Psalm 42 is a deer pants for the water brook. So my soul thirsts for God. Glorify, enjoy, revere, honor, worship. You see, this feeds wholeness. So I want to look at, at, at Malachi 4 and just ask this question. What feeds reverence for God? What feeds, the next step, statement down is, you will leap for joy. What, what feeds joy in the Lord? What 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 feeds this? I think the answer is in verse four. Remember, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws which I gave him at Horeb or Sinai for all Israel. Remember, remember, remember the law. Remember, let me just say that. that remember, remember. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's goodness. I was 
in a group the other day, and somebody said, uh, somebody here, two other people share their favorite Christmas. And I didn't say anything, but I started thinking. And I went, I went outside and sat down, put out a piece of paper, and of course, I've had several Christmases. But I just wrote down quickly nine, nine wonderful Christmases that I could remember just off the top of my head. Nine. And I thought about the great things the Lord has done. There is a statement in the bulletin. This is from a guy named Richard Baxter. This is a wonderful statement. And he says this. He says, but but one generation, excuse me, says to trust in God is upon the apprehension of the all-sufficiency, goodness, and faithfulness of God to quiet our hearts in the expectation of the benefits from which we desire, rejecting the cares and fears and griefs that would disquiet them. In other words, you, you concentrate on the all-sufficiency, goodness, and faithfulness of God, and you remember that. And then he says this. It's the last, this is a great sentence. Where there is no promise, we trust God's faithfulness as well as his nature. He's good. He's glorious. He's triune. He's merciful. He is good and he does good. He watches over his people. We we trust that. But where there is no direct promise we can think of, we trust his character. I like that. We trust him. God is a faithful, glorious, wonderful God. And, and I, whenever I read something like that, I think about Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 and following. He talks about trusting God, basically. Praying. This is this. Which of you, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who call upon him? We gave each other gifts last week. And they were good gifts. And Jesus says, if you, and, and with remnants of evil in your spirit, you know, a mixed, if you, living that way, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Abba Father give good gifts to those who call upon Him and trust Him and look to Him and believe in Him? I thought about just trying to application of this. I thought about there's people in sitting in this room that I've known for many years, and I would trust them with my life. I would give them my retirement account and say, you know, just watch over it. I would I would trust them with my children, my wife. I would trust them with everything. And you know what? The people I'm thinking of are not perfect. They're not Abba Father. They're wonderful friends. How much more glorious is Abba Father? How much more can we trust in Him? This, I mean, meditate on this verse last couple of weeks. This is in Zephaniah, Old Testament, minor prophet. God is talking about His judgment that's going to come because people are disobedient. And at the end of the book, it's just three chapters, Zephaniah. 
At the end of the book is, is this statement, and I just, I just go, Ooh, wow. The Lord says, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. You know, just, oh man. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He rejoices over you with he will quiet you with his love. He rejoices over you with singing. You're going, wow. God rejoices over me with singing. And you see that in the cross. He, he, and as you look to this one, he will quiet you with his love. He's mighty to save. He delights in you. Just, just by the cross, He delights in you. Another way of saying that is in Romans 8, Paul says, If God is for us, who can possibly be against us? You see, that which feeds remembering or that which feeds revering and adoring and worship and glorying and, 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 being glad is to remember his faithfulness. Remember his faithfulness. I don't know what you're looking at in 2012. Some people here are looking at very tough times. But the same God who's carried us in the decades, many of us, in the decades past, will carry us this year. And he will quiet us with his love. And he will rejoice over us with singing. And if death takes us this year, he will welcome us into glory by the cross of Jesus. And you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me rejoice over you. And that's, that's just, I just go, whoa. So, so we remember his faithfulness. And then secondly here, he says, remember in the text, remember that God has spoken. God has spoken. I um, God, God has spoken historically. He, he gave the Ten Commandments. He gave the law. He, he says, it says here, remember, you remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws. So, so what, what feeds reverence? Remembering the law, being biblical, being people who understand and hold to objective truth. Now I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I want you to think here. I want you to think. I want you to be thinking Christians. I want you to understand that Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your mind and your soul. That Paul says that, that we, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10. That he says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to think. And we, and we live in an age where we don't think. And we live in an age where the church, it's just really, we don't think. You think, okay? So, so if, if I am to if I'm to revere God, I've got to be a person of the book. I've got to deal with it. I've got to digest it. I've got to I've got to think through it. Here's a quote. I think I have you. No, that's wrong quote. Okay, it's in the bulletin. Then I thought I had it. 
there's a quotable from, from a guy named Jodicus van Lodenstein, which is a really cool name. You know, if you're, if you're going to have a baby and it's going to be a boy, Jodicus, that's, I like that name. It's kind of, I've never seen it before. But he, he said this in 1674, and it's been quoted since then. He said this. The church is reformed, capital R, which means we hold to Reformation theology. The Bible alone, Christ alone, faith alone, through the grace of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. The alones of the Reformation were people who hold to truth. The church is reformed and always being reformed, small r, always changing, always pushed, always growing, according to the word of God. Okay. So, so... We are being changed according to the Word of God. There's, there's, if, you, if you read things, it's kind of like the, the church. To, to, the church is part of the cultural mosaic. I made that up. Sounds really good. The church is part of the cultural mosaic, and we are kind of part of the world, and we, we reflect the standards of the world, and we're there as a healing agent, and we're there to bring, to bring, to bring joy where there's sorrow, and peace where there's strife, and harmony where there is um, whatever. That's what the church is. Part of the cultural mosaic. We, we, we reflect. Compared to, Jesus says, as my Father has sent me, so I send you. We are to impact the culture. That's why our purpose statement is equipping people to think, to pursue Jesus passionately, to impact the culture. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're supposed to be thinkers, and we're supposed to be... See, I want you to see this. If, if we need to remember to, to think, to be biblical. Now, I'm going to give you a quote, and I'm going to call the name because it was, it was an article, and it's written by someone named Serene Jones. She is the um, president of a seminary in New York called Union Seminary, and she wrote an article a year and a half ago called John Calvin, Reformed and Always Reforming. She says, I'm celebrating the 500th anniversary of the birth of John Calvin. Calvin was born in uh, 1509. And this is part of her article. She names the, a man who, she says, is the Episcopal Bishop of New Hampshire who preaches powerfully about the need to call ourselves to collective accountability, recognizing the profound depths of our sinfulness and refusing to judge others or create new margins of exclusivity, but instead opening ourselves to the grace gifts of God. You read that and say, what? I mean, she's very bright. She has a PhD from Yale. She's a very bright woman. And, but you, you, you look at it and say, ah, well, it's, that, that really sounds good. And, I mean, it's very well written. But she's talking about a man who's an open, unrepentant, proud practicer of homosexuality. And she's writing to the defense of him. She says, he is, speaks out against, see that, don't you? creating new margins of exclusivity. Listen, I don't want new margins of exclusivity. I just want the old tried truth. And the Bible says homosexuality is sin against a holy God. Just like heterosexual behavior outside of marriage is sin against a holy God. I don't want new margins. I just want to hold by the old margins. 
but you, and instead open ourselves up to the grace gifts of God. I have no idea what that means. Just, that's double speak. And she goes on. She says this. We're on the other end of the reform spectrum. We should ask Jeremiah Wright, the former pastor of President Obama. I said, stop. Now, even if you don't like Jeremiah Wright, one thing I will always say about him is he tells you what he thinks. And if you said to him, Mr. Wright, are you part of the Reformation heritage? He said, heavens, no. Give me a break. So it's just, and he talks about those in Reformed perspective who are secular humanists. And I'm going, good grief. We just made the tent so big there's no tent pegs. It's just a piece of fabric flapping in the wind. Think. Think. The church is not part of the cultural mosaic. The church has been sent into the culture to speak the truth of God to the culture. In academics, in family, in education, in accounting, in law, in the way we treat each other with dignity. From conception to death, this is who we are. Think. Another example. Martin Luther. This happened in 1521. Martin Luther. This is so good. Luther's a monk who read the Bible too much. And, and he came to see you're saved not through being a good son of the church, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus. That, there's a famous statement that Luther lost his balance in a, in a cathedral in the pitch black darkness. And he was falling, about to fall down a flight of stairs. And he reached out and he grabbed the only thing he could grab in the darkness, which was a rope. But the rope was part of a huge bell. And the bell clanged, and, and the writer says, and all the world was changed because a monk lost his balance and grabbed the rope, and the rope was the Bible. And understanding you're saved by faith in works, now excuse me, faith in the work of Christ, not by what you can do. It's incredible. And so he, he, there's this diet of, of worms, which I never thought of this week, a diet of worms. That sounds really kind of not a very good diet, but a diet of worms. There's this, the, the Holy Roman Emperor is there, the crown princes are there, the ecclesiastical leaders of the Catholic Church of that day are there, and they, they've got his, his writings on a table. And, and, and 2,000 people are crammed in and around this little church. And everybody is attuned to this. This is, this is, CNN would have been there, and probably ESPN would have been there. They'd have probably done away with all the games and said, this is so important. And, and they said, Martin Luther, will you, re, will you renounce your writings? And he says, and, and, and it, was, it was a cool April day in Germany. And they said he was sweating profusely because Luther understood what was happening. And so Luther said, can, can I have one night to pray about it? I mean, he, he realized that if he, if he did not renounce, he thought he was going to be taken out and executed. So he goes in, into his room. He, he Closes the door, he prays, he thinks, he tries to sleep, he gets up the next day. And, and, and he stands before all these people in, in a simple monk robe. And this is what he says. Your majesty, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils for they have 
contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Dead silence. And one of the leaders said, Dr. Luther, to give everyone here clarification, because there were people from Spain there who did not speak German, would you please repeat what you just said in Latin? At that point, I'd just been sunk. But anyway. And so Luther said the same thing in Latin. And when he finished, he did this. But it's over. And the place erupted. It's a great scene. He was, of course, spared. He was taken to a castle and disguised. And, and the Reformation just went crazy. I talk to people frequently. Oh, frequently. And they'll say things like this. They'll say, well, you know, to quote one of your buddies, Martin Luther, I must act according to my conscience. I go, he didn't say that. You know, that's Jiminy Cricket. You know, always let your conscience be your guide. I mean, this is what Luther said. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. See, an informed conscience by the Word of God. Then you act. You know, go on and says, well, it just seems to me that that's what we should do. Well, you know, maybe your conscience is dead. What? Well, maybe we should... No, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. See, that's what I want for us because I, I believe when, when, when our conscience is captive to the Word of God and the church is reformed and always reforming according to the Word of God, then we revere the name of the living God in His triune glory and we worship Him and we glory in Him and we adore Him and we delight in Him and the Son of Righteousness rises with healing in His wings. That's who we need to be. We need to remember that God has spoken and to, to act upon it. That's why I, I, I love the clarity of Scripture. It's just there. No, I like sports. I like sports with definitive rules. Skating, ice skating. You know, some of us who are old remember, remember the Olympics and the ice skaters and somebody do a eight triple luxes and spin through the air like a ninja warrior. And, 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 the, and the judges were from the communist bloc nations, 1.2, 2.3. And then a Soviet skater gets out there and falls and go 9.9. I mean, it was so objective. Give me a football, first and 10. You make two yards, it's second and eight. I mean, it's, it's right there. We, we measure it. It's right there. It's, you, there's no guesswork. Now, if you have a official that puts it here instead of here, that's, but that, that's, see, that's, that's why I, I like, I don't like, well, it seems to me that's triple lux Soviet block thinking. <laughs> I want clarity. God has spoken. First and ten. Two points, the ball went in. Three points, you're behind the Three point, it's done. I need that because my heart is. But God doesn't change. Remember. And, and then, and then this quickly. 
says this. You, you, you remember in community. I want you to hear this. Chapter 3, verse 13. You said harsh things against me, said the Lord. And yet you ask, what have we said against you? you say, what, what, what harsh things do they say about God? Here's the answer. You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord God Almighty? But now we call it the arrogant. Blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper and even those who challenge God escape. You know, you know how they spoke harshly about God? They said, God isn't God. Isn't God. He's not powerful. He doesn't see us. He doesn't know. It's no big deal. God is not unchanging. God is not king. Those are harsh things. They downgraded the character of God. They downgraded the character of God. They didn't revere his name. But here's what happened. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared, revered, worshipped the Lord and honored his holy name. See, See, you remember in the context of community, thank God for a godly wife who reveres the name of God. Thank God for godly staff and friends and elders who revere the name of God. And they, they go to the scroll where the truth has been written down and they live there. And they live there. I, I desperately need community. There's a quote. Here's the first sentence. Self-deception. This is from a great book. Self-deception about sin is a narcotic, a tranquilizing and disorienting suppression of our spiritual central nervous system. What's devastating about it is that when we lack an ear for wrong notes in our lives, we cannot play the right ones or even recognize them in the performance of others. I need people to help me understand good and bad notes. Because self-deception about sin is a narcotic. It is a tranquilizing and disorienting suppression of our spiritual nervous system. I, I, let me tell you, as this year dawns, and I, I, I go places and I spend time with families and I see people... I am absolutely flabbergasted, traumatized, and sometimes thankfully thunderstruck that bad decisions lead to more bad decisions, lead to more bad decisions, leads to disorientation, leads to fragmentation, leads to pain and sorrow. Sin sucks. Conversely, good decisions made before the God we revere lead to good decisions before the God we worship, lead to good decisions before the God that we adore. 
gives you a future and a hope. Gives you a legacy. Gives laughter because the sun of righteousness rises with healing in its wings. I want you to know that. I want you to know that. I want you to run to the cross and say the sun of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. I will follow him. Lord, we thank you for this day and for the, the incredible clarity of the Word of God. Um, thank you that you are God Almighty, that you are a community of a Trinitarian wonder, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that in the fullness of time, the day that Zephaniah and Malachi longed for, came when Mary gave birth to a baby boy named Jesus. And you, Almighty God, lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious over death. And you have risen with healing in your wings. You've poured out your Holy Spirit upon your people. Lord, may healing be in your wings and this church this year. May the glory of God be a fire around this church and around families, around marriages that are new or about to be, or marriages that have been for 30 and 40 years. May, may your glory be a ring of fire around our teenagers who are in the midst of incredible decision-making. May your glory and your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be a ring of protection and a wall, a, a fortress, a strong point for us. We want that. And we thank you that as we are in the Scripture and as we live there and as we worship and as we walk in truth, that your name is revered. And when your name is revered, there is healing, there is power, there is laughter, there is hope. We want that. And we want your name to be glorified in our lives and in our, our, our friends, our family, our co-workers, and our neighbors. We want that. We want your name to, be go, to go out to the ends of the earth, to the nations, to the nations, Lord, we pray. So we commit 2012 to you, O oh mighty God. We do. In Jesus' name.